you go. All right, we're going to be in Luke 7, verse 11 today, and we're going to do this over two weeks, and I hope to explain why. Let me ask you a couple questions. Questions are going to be a little uncomfortable at first, but bear with me. Anyone here have an opportunity they stepped into this week to share the gospel with someone? I don't mean talk to them about God, I mean actually share the gospel. Let them know of who they were apart from Christ, who they could be in Christ, and how that came to be. You have to answer out loud. Anyone here this week mourn their current sin and turn from that sin and confess that sin to God? I mean, spend some time actually grieving and mourning sin in your life. Anyone here spend any time this week thinking about what areas of their life they were walking not in God's will but in their will and simply asking God to bless their will? Or do you just kind of go through life without really thinking about it? Anyone here this week really rejoice in their identity in Christ and rest in the fact that God will care for you perfectly no matter what? And just marvel in that reality of who Christ is and who you are in Christ. Did anyone spend some time praising God as they enjoyed that truth? Now, can I be totally honest? The answer to each of those questions is either going to be a flat no or not as I was supposed to or can if I am in Christ. Amen? So the goal is to pivot that to share the gospel joyfully and expectantly with people, to mourn and grieve sin in our lives, to actually examine why we do what we do to see if it is according to the word of God for the glory of God or according to the wisdom of man for the glory of us, and to live our lives in the reality of who we are and who Christ is. And do you know what keeps us from that? It's really quite simple. Do you know what keeps us from that? a failure to understand the reality of who God is and who you are before him. Now, I love this text, and I was going to blast through it in a week, and now my hope is two weeks, and we'll see if that's enough, because what you will see in this text is the power of God and the compassion of God in such beautiful mutual engagement and as you do, you see the reality of who God is. See, some of you need to understand the power of God more fully. Some of you need to understand the compassion of God more fully. But all of us need to push them together more fully so we might see the reality of who God is and who we are in Christ so that we delight in proclaiming the glory of God, walking in the will of God, and resting in our identity in God. Amen? So we're going to go slow. I don't know how long I'll preach today. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 40. I don't know. But I want you all to, to rest in Christ. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, what do you say, folks? Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, what did our Lord say, family? 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Do y'all just see what happened there? Jesus showed up at a funeral, and he said to a dead body, what he said? And the body, whoa, who is this God? How powerful is this God? Where did Jesus go? That's not a trick question. Luke 7, verse 11, where did he go? He went to Nain. Why did he go to Nain? 20 miles from Capernaum. You ever walk 20 miles? Full day's journey from Capernaum to Nain. With his disciples and a great crowd, hundreds if not thousands of people, a 20-mile journey to Nain. Why would Jesus go to Nain? You see, with God, there's no just, let's go for a random walk and see where we end up. There's perfect providential action. Jewish people, when someone died, buried them the same day. Full day journey shows up in Nain with a dead guy on a buyer. How did he know that that guy would die, that the funeral would take so long, and the procession would be right where it was when he arrived? How did he know? How I can't get a, a minivan with five total people on a two-hour trip on time? How did he pull multitudes of people 20 miles to arrive at just the right time? How did he do that? How did he know this guy would die? How did he know where he would be? How did he do this? Luke says, verse 12, behold. You see that word, behold? You want a translation into the English that's better? Whoa! Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, whoa! A man who had, you see what happened there? Luke says, how did he do that? He's God. Perfect, providential care. Can you all take a minute? What is going on in your life that's outside of the perfect, sovereign care of God? John was in the hospital outside of God's providential care. Jim has cancer. People deal with struggles. Emotional, relational, financial, professional. You know those crazy things that happened to you in your past that you don't want to talk about? Yeah? Yeah. Those, those just happen by chance? People get all fired up about miracles. Where God suspends natural law and intervenes supernaturally in a creative way to reveal something about himself. Marvelous. But in providential care, God orchestrates billions, trillions, gazillions, gadillions, I don't know the biggest number of events, over all time 
to bring about his intended purpose at his intended time in his intended way. Do you ever marvel at the providential care of God? You know how Rich and Evelyn got married? In a very real sense, God intended it. Because how could Rich's mom and dad have Rich when they had, and Evelyn's mom and dad have Evelyn when they had, so that they would just circumstantially cross paths in just the right way at just the right time to marry one another, to have their own kids who, how does God do this? Do, do you see the power of God and his providential care? Jesus went to Nain because he had a divine appointment. God has plan A. There ain't no plan B. There's no contingency planning with the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't react, he decrees. Y'all catching this? What are you afraid about in your life? What, what is going on in your life that you would change if you could? Said another way, what's going on where you think God messed up? We all have them, right? Right? But God doesn't mess up. It, you don't like how you look. You don't like how you think. You don't like the, the, the health issues you have. You don't like the mental health issues you have. You don't like the family you have. You don't like the just stop. Stop. Because what you're saying is, you messed up. He doesn't mess up. If I'm going to a funeral as an old widow and my grown son's dead, I'm going, God, you messed up. And Jesus shows up and says, sweetie, I didn't mess up. He sh oh, man, I want to preach these two sermons together. But you got to get the power before you get the compassion. Luke is showing us chapter after chapter after chapter of who Jesus is, right? We have the testimonies. Gabriel, the prophet in utero. You remember that one? I'm trying to save Dorothy so I don't freeze her out. Is she all right? All right. I'm going to sweat myself out. We have the, the, the testimony of, of the Father, of the Spirit, of Jesus himself, of Simeon, of Anna, of Zechariah. You all remember this? Then we saw the power of Jesus over the devil, over demons, the physical realm, sin, and today, over death. How powerful is God. He orchestrates every single thing. So he shows up to this grieving mother who's a widow with a grown son who died. And it says he had compassion on her. Y'all better not miss next week because this sucker caps off beautifully next week. I'm setting up next week today. And he said to her, what did he say to her? That's what my dad would say to me at a funeral as a kid. Quit crying. They're dead. I'm messing. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it was, that's how we were raised. Persons died. I mean, get over it. You can't change it. It's Jesus saying, honey, suck it up. He's dead. Move on. No. He, he has compassion on her. And he says, do not weep. Three types of people would say, do not weep at a funeral. Cruel people, confused people, or someone who can do something about it. Was Jesus cruel? Sometimes we think he is. Listen to me. Sometimes you doubt the goodness of God. God, how could you let this happen means if you were good, you wouldn't do this. Mm -mm -mm. Jesus is good all the time. 
Jesus, is he confused? Is he dealing with some emotional baggage? No? He can do something about it. It says he has compassion. What that means, I'll unpack this next week. He was heartbroken. He was literally emotionally heartbroken. To feel sympathy and compassion from his most inner parts is what that word means. Now just chew on that for a minute. And this heartbroken man who is God, don't miss this, says to this heartbroken mother, don't miss this, do not weep. And he goes up to the buyer. It's a stretcher with a body on it. It could be a coffin or a stretcher. I know it's not a coffin. You say, how do you know that? Because he sat up. It would have hit his head, right? Hey. He walks up to the buyer, and what does he do? Church family, what does he do to the buyer? We go to funerals, we, we touch coffins. No big deal, right? We're, we, we walk up, we, we touch the coffin, we, we say goodbye. Jews don't do that. You become ceremonially unclean. You can read numbers, I think it's 19, 11 to 22. When you touched an unclean body or dead body, you had a problem, but Jesus did not become unclean. Read Hebrews 7. He could not become unclean because he was perfectly pure. So he walks up to the buyer. I mean, imagine the funeral procession. They're professional wailers. This is how this works. You're playing the flute, tearing their clothes, crying and screaming. He walks up to the parade, coming out of Nain, a very small town, as an aside, no more than 200 people at this time, nor at our time today, small town. With a multitude of people, the professional funeral wailers are coming out. They got the body on the buyer, and Jesus walks up and says to this grieving mother, don't cry. And he touched a dead body. And the bearers stopped. Why? Because that's just weird. You don't do that. And they stopped. And Jesus asked for a financial offering to harness his power to raise a body. Amen? What did Jesus do? He said, do you have enough faith? What did Jesus do? Young man, I say to you, arise. You ever go to a funeral and try that? People, that, that guy in our video, he fixes the, the leg issue, right? Bill Johnson makes your leg grow if it's a little short. Sleight of hand. Jesus shows up at a funeral, touches a dead body, still clean. Don't forget how he got here. Providential, perfect care. And he spoke to a dead body and said, Arise, young man, I say to you, arise. And something happened. I love how, I love how Luke puts it. And the dead man sat up. Like, well, what do you expect is going to happen? God himself said, arise, so what's, he's going to arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Would you love to know what he said? Wait, wait. Now, why did he speak? To show everybody he was alive, I guess? I don't know. What did he say? Doesn't matter because we saw who Jesus is. What kind of person can cause a dead person wrapped up in all their cloth, prepared for burial, end of the day, funeral procession to the cemetery, to cause that person to get 
up. I mean, can we stop and chew on this? What I want to show you, how powerful is God? Remember I sang my song from Hebrew school? Our God is so big, our God is so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. And all the kids yell, it's true! How strong is God? What problem do you have that God can't fix if he wants to? What's happened in your life that God hasn't caused to come about or allowed to come about intentionally in his providential care? Now you may be saying, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have done that. Hang with me for a minute. Come back next week. Don't miss next week. I'll, I'll, I'll tease it up this week. Maybe you had a traumatic experience growing up. I, I know a, a person personally named my dad who grew up with a sickly mom who he cared for from a very young age and his brothers along with it. And it caused in him a variety of issues, such as at a funeral, right? I mean, my dad literally did not say to me at a funeral, suck it up, quit crying. He didn't say that. But that's how we were raised and modeled, right? I was a boy. Tears are not for boys. You're four years old. You can deal with it. When I was five, I fell off my bike and died. My dad told me to rub some dirt on it. Here I stand. I'm kidding. I didn't, I didn't really die. It's a joke. But it bases in wondering, is God really good if God would allow this to happen? Amen? He allowed her son to die. Who's going to protect her physically? No husband, no son. Her only son. Who's going to protect her? Different culture than you live in, folks. Who's going to provide money for her to buy things, to eat, to survive? This is a widow who is going to be destitute and destroyed and dead at some point in the near future. She has been abandoned and has no one to care for her. Who is going to help her? She clearly will be struggling with this, amen? And a heartbroken Messiah walks in and sees a heartbroken woman and he says to her, Honey, don't cry. You need your son back. Here you go. I mean, hang on there for a minute. Perfect timing. Hang on there for a minute. Jesus says, as a heartbroken Messiah to a heartbroken mother, you need your son back? Here you go. And then it says, fear sees them all. Why? We have been in the presence of God. We really felt the Holy Spirit move at this funeral. It was awesome! No, it was, uh, uh, well, because they knew they had seen the power of God at work. They, they had seen a physical manifestation of the power of God to resurrect a dead body. And when you come into the reality of who God is, do you know what happens? You become terrified. You see, the reason we don't share the gospel is not a fear issue, like you think. It's because you don't fear God as you ought. The reason we don't grieve sin is because we don't fear God as we ought. The reason we don't live as we should is we don't fear God as we ought, but we need to know God not only is all-powerful, but is compassionate too. Come back next week if I haven't mentioned that. But understand, when these people saw the reality of what happened, fear seized them all and they glorified God. God is terrifying. How do we take God casually? Because we don't know who he is, as we ought. 
but he is also compassionate. A heartbroken God, who is man, comes to a heartbroken mother and says, don't cry, you need your son back, here you go. That will mess you up in your head until you land the reality of who this guy is that showed up to do that. And then the people say, a great prophet has arisen among us. Why would they say that? Why, why do they call Jesus a great prophet? Any ideas? So I'm going to give you homework for next week. 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4. You can write those down. Read those. 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4. 1 Kings 17, prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was living in a drought, and he went to a widow, asked for something to eat. Her son died. What did Elijah do with her son? Take a guess. Raised her from the dead. 2 Kings, Elijah had a similar situation, and he was hanging out with a a woman, not like you're thinking, folks. And he had a little issue. I'm going to turn there for you. The Shunammite woman, right? She had a son. If I remember correctly, she got that son in an interesting way. While she and her husband were old, they had no children. And every Jewish mom needs a son. I mean, there's a biblical reason for that. To carry on the family line, to care for you. And they got a son. And then he got a little older and his son's head started hurting out in the field and his dad sent him home to his mom and he sat on his mom's lap and he's yelling because his head hurts and he died. And you know what Elisha did? Brought the kid back from the dead. Elijah and Elisha were used to raise people from the dead and the people just saw Jesus do the same thing. So they say, a prophet has arisen in our midst. Amen? But there's a little difference I don't want you to miss. If you were to turn to 1 Kings 17, it says, the son of the woman in verse 17, the mistress of the house became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Now, as an aside, if you are a person who writes in your Bible, I would underline that and mark it for next week. Verse 18. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her. He took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And what did he do in verse 20, church? He cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God. Cried to the Lord. Have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself. Go to verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the child, and the life of the child came into him. So what did Elijah do? How did he raise that boy? He prayed. Fast forward, 2 Kings 4. Elisha, you want to try to figure out what's going on here? Kid dies. How do you think Elisha raised him? 
Verse 32. I think that's right. Came into the house, the child lying dead on his bed, so he went in and shut the door with the two of them. And what did he do at the end of verse 33? He prayed to the Lord. Can we go back to Luke 7, church family? I got Jesus, my Lord, at a funeral. I got a dead body on a bier. I got a grieving mother in the parade. I have the Lord tell the mother, don't cry. And then I see Jesus pray. Nope. He didn't pray. Nope. What did he do? He just spoke. Oof. So close, but no cigar for these people. They said, a great prophet has arisen among us. They were thinking, Elijah did this. Elisha did this. We know Deuteronomy 18. There's a great prophet coming. We have a great prophet in our midst. There's no great prophet. Not like they're thinking. That's Yahweh. He spoke, and a body rose. He spoke, and a body rose. He gave that boy back to his mother and said, here you go. Now, I want you to get this. Here was a problem I had. Because if, if you were paying attention to that first Kings verse, and I'll let you try to exegete it, think about it this week, the pivot that you're going to see coming out of that, oh my goodness, what the Lord did here, pointing back to what he did in First and Second Kings, pointing forward to what he did on Calvary, the truth that he allows us to rest in our identity in Christ, hang on to your socks for next week. But before we get there, this is what I need you to understand. Do you know how powerful God is? This boy was raised, but it was only a sign pointing to the greater and fuller resurrection that we all have in Christ. If you, if you miss the power of God, you have an inept deity who really is quite pathetic. Yet if you miss the compassion of God, you have a scary deity in whom you'll really find no comfort. But when you put the, the power and the compassion of God together, you have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came to reveal who he was and save us from God, to God, for God. When I was a kid, my daddy was the one who was a protector and provider. You got a problem, you run to dad. I remember a guy across the street, his dad yelled at me once. I ran in the house. Probably told you this story already. Dad, he's calling the army, he said. I was like eight years old. My dad came out hot, and I'm walking behind him. Woo. My dad was a big man. Woo. And he went up, and he was yelling at that guy. He was trying to entice him to take a swing so he could just beat him to death. <laughs> he told me that, and he would have done that. But like, woo. But when you got hurt and scared or sick, you didn't go to dad. You went to mom. Mom, I don't feel good. Oh, honey, come sit down. You need to, I'll rub your back. You want some ginger ale? Oh, oh. Compassion, care, power, provision. Who's God more like, my mama or my daddy? Both? Godly. God can whoop your enemies? Amen. You don't want to mess with one of God's kids, Amen. My daddy can beat up your daddy, right? David says to Goliath, you, you come, I come against you in the name of the Lord. My daddy going to whoop you bad. But is God compassionate too? Or does God just say, listen, 
Let's go. Quit crying, rub some dirt on it. Let's keep moving. You got your little uh, bulletin? You see that front artwork? 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. My mama was a compassionate one. She'd give me the ginger ale and rub my head and clean up my messes when I wasn't feeling good. My daddy was a strong one. He made sure the house was safe, the food was on the table, and ain't nobody messing with his family. Both are completely imperfect, but yet still by God's common grace signposts that point to the reality of who God is. God is Father. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. He reveals himself as Father. But he does demonstrate certain aspects of who he is through motherly tendencies. You read scripture, tell me if I'm crazy. Cast your cares on him, and he will sustain you. It says right here, he cares for you. It says here in Luke 7, he was compassionate. And a God who cares and shows compassion like that, who can raise someone from the dead. Now do you understand what the Lord means when he says, fear not, for I am with you? Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So why did God raise this boy? Why did God determine to go 20 miles to Nain with a, with a multitude of people around him to raise this young man from the grave? Patty says to glorify himself. Amen, I'll go with that. To show his power, I'll go with that. But there's something else you can't miss to reveal who he is even more fully, to show his compassion and care. It's interesting to note, when you, when you look at the resurrections in, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, not all the time, but so often, Jesus is giving a son back to a mother. Not always. You'll see someone's going, but Jairus, yeah, but read closely. Jairus' wife was there too. There's something there that just expresses the attentive compassion of God to a mother, Jewish mother who needs her boy, practically and functionally in, in that world. So when we go back to those questions I started with, and I ask who shared the gospel this week? Do you understand what the gospel really is? Do, do you have to share the gospel? It's the wrong question. Why wouldn't we want to share this gospel? Maybe you know a woman who lost her son. Do you know the good news that we have for her? We can't guarantee her son's going to get raised at the funeral. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, follow me and I'll raise all your dead people for you. Not, not, in, the, not in the physical, temporal sense. But a woman who loses her son and goes to the funeral of their child, that's a, a, a hopeless person. Do you know what we have to bring to that person? Hope. Person struggling with relationships, a person struggling with health issues, a person struggling with financial issues, a person struggling with, with background issues from their life. Do you know what we have to bring them in the gospel? Hope. Can I tell you all a little secret? You are not in control of everything. 
Did you know that? You're not in control of everything. You want me to make it even scarier? You're not in control of anything. Does that scare the boots off of you? What if the stock market totally crashed? Mm. What if everyone in your family got totally sick and died? What if all of your friends let you down and abandoned you? What if, what if you got boils and sores all over your life? What if everything went totally bad? Would you freak out? You would. But you don't have to if you're in Christ. Because even if the mountain should crumble into the sea, not only is God all-powerful, but he's attentive and compassionate. And let's see, now I'm ready to preach the second part. I'm going to save you. But here's what you need to see. Here's something I wrestled with for years. I have no doubt of the reality of the power of God. All-powerful. All power is God's. Everything is under his control. What I struggled with, especially as a young believer, was... Where's the comfort in that? God can simply do whatever he wants and there's nothing you can do about it. That is true. But God is tender and merciful and gracious and compassionate. Now put that together. God loves you more than any human being will ever love you other than Christ Jesus. He will care for you more perfectly than anyone else can because he has all power. And our joyful invitation is to flee sin and follow Christ for his glory, knowing that he will care for us perfectly. So where in your life are you failing to mourn sin? Where, said another way, are you enjoying your current sin? Where, where in your life are you going so fast that you're not even thinking about, is this the will of God? but you're doing what you're doing and asking God to bless it. Now listen to me. Every one of you is doing that. Me too. The question is, can you identify those areas? Because those areas exist because you forget the power of God and the compassion of God. For if you truly trusted in the power of God and the compassion of God, why would you want to do anything other than the will of God? If this lady knew that Jesus was going to raise her son 24 hours before he did it. Do you think she would have walked through that funeral differently? She still would have been sad, but it would have been a whole different type of sad. Can I tell you a little secret? I say to you, a rise to a dead body getting up ain't nothing compared to the resurrection we have in Christ. Do you, do you understand that? The, the, the son being restored to this mother was not her hope. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, he could protect her. Yes, he could provide for her. But ultimately, that son wasn't her protector or provider, was he? Because he wasn't in control of anything. He was simply a vessel through whom God would choose to protect and provide. And I set it up as if when she didn't have a son, she'd be hopeless and helpless with no one to care for her. I said that, right? Yep. But that's what the culture says. You know what the Bible says? God would care for her perfectly. So to Barb's point in, in our prayer time before, we, we live in a dark and fallen world, and the world is dark and fallen denies the power of God and it denies the compassion of God. And do you know what we're called to do in this fallen world for the glory of God? Live as if God is all-powerful and compassionate. 
Do you believe he is? You see, we're in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, but if I go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, I've got to ask a question. Why was Jesus born in the first place? Why, why did he come? Do you remember that? He came to be a sacrifice. The John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would God choose to send his son? It's almost like this woman who lost her only son was grieving, but God pivoted the grieving of people by giving his only son? I don't know, maybe a tie in there? It's almost like in 1 Kings when the, the woman says to Elijah, just to help you along, did my son die for my sin? Jesus might have a little bit of a different answer. I'm just saying, we'll unpack that next week. But before we can get to that, can I just ask you a question? You just, you start this so quickly and boom. It says, soon afterward, meaning soon after the centurion's servant was healed, soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. You gotta put that in the providential category. Soon after, literally next, it says next, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And you go, what? Imagine if you're one of his disciples, gets up early in the morning. Let's go, guys. Where are we going? Name? name? What's a name? Can't you see like Andrew and Peter? What are we doing in name? There's like 50 people living in name. I'll just hush, just do what he says. See how powerful he is? Just shut up and do what he says. All right, but I'm wondering, why are we going to name? I don't know. Just hush. She's like, let's go. And they start walking. He got, probably got the, the apostles up close to Jesus and the multitude of, of people, you know, the some followers, some looking for stuff. They're all following and they're having these conversations. What are, what are we doing? Why are we going to Nain? And Jesus is just smiling and walking. I'm sure he's teaching and talking, preaching the gospel. What is Nain? Just, would you walk we're halfway there? All right. But if no, what's a name? Oh, no. And they get there and they hear the ruckus coming. There's a funeral going on, common sound in those days. And there's a buyer coming out. And there's a body wrapped on the buyer, and the professional funeral people are doing their professional funeral stuff, and the mother, I mean, imagine yourself as a, as a widow with a grown son who will care for you, and your grown son drops dead. I mean, this lady is mourning and grieving and hopeless and helpless. And Jesus, with this huge crowd behind him, he's not out for a little Chester County Sabbath day walk. You know, honey, let's, let's go to Valley Forge, and we'll walk 10 miles on the trails. No! God has perfect purpose in everything he does. He can walk in the trails, but he's doing it for a reason. And the crowd comes and the buyer's coming out. And you know, in this mom's head, she's going, God, why? God, where's my hope? God, my son, my only son? God, how could you take my son? What will I ever do? And who knows what thoughts are going on in her mind? Who knows what thoughts were going on in her son's mind when he was about to die? Who's going to care for my mom? What's going to happen to my mom? I have no family. Oh my goodness, God, how can you do this to me, God? And then Jesus shows up, puts his hands on the buyer. Everybody stops, says to the mom, don't cry. I mean, just, could you hear the Lord speaking that night? Don't cry. No, no, no. Oh, oh, sweetheart, woman, please, don't cry. I mean, you could almost picture him weeping. You can read Lazarus. He cries. 
cries other times. He weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, don't, don't cry, don't cry. Arise. I mean, hang on to that for a minute. The guy sat up and began speaking. What does Jesus do after this? Doesn't matter. Do you see the power on display? Don't miss the compassion. We're coming back to that. But here's what I want you to get. Where are you failing to trust in the power of God? Or perhaps ask this way. Where are you failing to allow God to reveal his power to you? Hmm? You know one of the greatest places to be as a Christian? In a totally hopeless place. Because in the hopeless place, you see that the hope you have in Christ holds true. But if you can keep yourself as far as possible from being dependent upon God, or at least thinking you're in that position, you rob yourself the gift of seeing the power of God on display. And the reason we do that is we doubt the compassion and care of God. How powerful is he? All-powerful. How compassionate is he? You come back next week for that one. We'll round off the text. Father, please help us. Please help us to understand who you are. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you forgive us for the times that we turn you into a fictitious storybook character where we can read of these, these things that you've done in history and almost see it no more than, than George Washington or, or Alexander the Great acting in history. Real people but dead people. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we treat you that way as if you were a real person who's dead. Because, Lord, we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a risen Savior. George Washington was a powerful man who died. Julius Caesar was a powerful man who died. Jesus Christ was a powerful man who died, who rose again, who had more power than any person who ever lived because all power is yours, Lord Jesus. And you are a very present help in times of trouble. The same compassion you had towards this woman, you have towards us, even more so as your children, if she was not one. Lord Jesus, help us to rest in that reality. Help us to remember when we were scared little kids and we'd run to mom or dad for protection or comfort and they'd tell us it's going to be okay. And then we grew up and we realized they could say it's going to be okay, but they couldn't make it okay. Help us to be like those little kids, Lord, but to run to you and to hear you say that it's going to be okay and knowing that if you say it's going to be okay, it will. And Lord, help us to remember that you have said it's going to be okay. Lord, you said in this world we will have trouble, but you have overcome the world. Lord, you say that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, you say that we can cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us. Lord, you say that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, help us to understand the reality of who you are and who we are in you. Father, help us to embrace our stupidity and weakness so we can rejoice in your wisdom and power. Lord, I saw Lillian's shirt this morning when she walked in, and what a great reminder. Lord, that in you we can do all things, that with you there is perfect peace, 
that you are a God of all powerful, who is gracious and compassionate, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So, Father, for those of us here today who desperately need to understand the enormity of your power, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to see that more clearly. For those of us today who desperately need to be able to rest into the compassionate care you have, especially towards your people, I pray that we would have had a glimpse of that today and that you would be so gracious as to allow us to rejoice in that more fully next week. But Lord, per the questions we began with, I pray that by your power and for your glory, you would show us this joyful opportunity that we have to proclaim the gospel. That you, in fact, are so powerful that by this seemingly simple message, you save people. And that through this seemingly simple message, you sanctify your saints. And Lord, that we might rejoice not only in proclaiming the gospel, but hearing the gospel again and again and again as you conform us to the image of Christ to it, through it. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to grieve sin as we see how you are better and stronger and wiser and purer and truer. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to rest in our identity in Christ, even more peacefully than a two-month-old child sleeps in his or her mother's arms. May we, Lord Jesus, as full-grown men and women, rest in your finished work, knowing that that mother's attentive eye to her infant is nothing compared to your attentive eye upon your children. Lord Jesus, we praise you who are all-powerful and wise, and we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, and that you have showed your grace and compassion to us by sending your son to die for us so that we might live forever. And Lord Jesus, we pray to you because you are not a dead guy. You are a risen savior. We are a Christmas and Easter people who any and every day of the year can shout out, he is risen. To our risen savior, we praise you. We ask for your help. We pray that we would glorify you. And we pray all of these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.